Well, today is Father's Day. You know that. We've already given you gifts. And, and my hope in giving you these gifts was that you would be acknowledged beyond getting the big piece of chicken. And being a father myself, as I was preparing for this message, I thought to myself, uh, um, what are the primary challenges and opportunities of fatherhood? What are the primary challenges? I've been a father for 16 years. What are the primary challenges and opportunities of fatherhood? And as I wrestled with this question, uh, one central and core thing came to mind. One central and core thing came to mind. And that question is, is uh, we want to be clear. We want to be clear on what it means to be a good father so that we can raise godly and healthy and happy children. When I thought about the central desire of every father in here, father for 16 years, father for 40 plus years, hey, pop my pop in the house, uh, father, you know, yeah, amen. That joker, handsome, he's handsome. Father for, for a couple of months, what is your primary desire? Your primary desire is when the book closes, when you launch these people into the world, that you are sure that you have done the very best job you can, that you have been a good father, and that they have become godly, healthy, happy people. Now, don't get me wrong, there are a litany of things I desire out of fatherhood, but when I get down to the core, when I get down to the brass tacks, when I get down to the heart of it, this is what surfaces for me over and over again. This is what comes up over and over again. Listen, this is the thing that sometimes keeps me up at night. Am I messing this thing up? Already doing the math for how much it's going to cost to put them all through therapy because that's on me, right? <laughs> this is the thing that sits with me. And of course, there are several challenges that we face when raising children. The chief challenge is that we have an enemy. I don't know if you knew that. We have an enemy, they call him the devil, and he has an assignment. And that assignment is to steal and to kill and destroy. And when you're trying to raise children in the fear of the Lord, if you're trying to raise children at all, he is still on that assignment. And he has wreaked untold havoc in modern and postmodern families, fatherlessness, the emotional vacancy of a man who may be in the house but is not present in his heart. The distance created. And the all-out assault on the family unit, well, has left many scars. And on top of all of that, on top of all of that, for many of us, nobody actually sat down and taught us how to be a good father. They didn't say, here are the things that you need to do. Here are the necessities. Here are the chief things that you need to be a good father. And how does that leave us feeling? It leaves us feeling unfit. If not unfit, ill-equipped. If not ill-equipped, just lost. Just lost sometimes on how to do this and how to do this well. And nobody should feel that way when they're raising children. Every one of us, fathers, every one of us should feel confident that the Lord is with us. We should feel confident on how it is that we are to be good fathers. We should feel confident that we are able to the best of our ability and by the power of the Spirit to raise godly, healthy, and happy children. That's the way that it should be. That is what God intended. And believe me, having four children in two life stages, two of them being teenagers, okay? I'll never forget standing in the CVS a couple years ago and I had a box of diapers in one hand and, and a box of ladies' essentials in the other. 
because one of my daughters had transitioned. And it's that thing, you know, like Zach Galifianakis where all the numbers are going. I'm like, what did I do with my life? I'm going to be a parent forever. Having four children in two states. I'm going to be a dad paw. Y'all know what a dad paw is? I'm going to be a grandfather with children still in my house. You look like you're doing all right. <laughs> Ain't he good? <laughs> but you know, every pregnancy was special. Every birth was special. Even the troublesome one of how my son came into the world. But nothing is like the first. Nothing is like the first. That's just the truth. And I remember it vividly. We were living in this small town called Sevierville, Tennessee, outside of Knoxville, uh, right down the street from Dollywood. If you don't know where that is, don't worry. You haven't missed anything. Um, and we were living in this, what I now know to be, very tiny two-bedroom apartment. It was situated on a creek. We would go down to the creek. We had very romantic times at the creek. Praise the Lord. And as my wife so often does, I was at a dead sleep, and that's when she gets her best ideas. And, uh, and she woke me up, and she said, I think I'm having contractions. And so I threw the covers off and jumped out of the bed and scrambled and started to get dressed as she very calmly walked to the bathroom and did a full face of makeup. And uh, it's a true story. That's a bad woman. And as I'm grabbing all the bags, she's standing in the kitchen eating a bowl of cereal, belly out to here, bowl just sitting on the belly. Just... And we hopped in the car. We got everything together. We hopped in the car. We're driving to the hospital. And then she says, actually, now she in full labor, mind you. Actually, uh, we need to stop by Walmart to get some snacks and a camcorder because there was no smartphones back then, so you had to buy a camcorder. And we get to the hospital, and they check her out, and they realize that Eden is breached. Her foot is already down the birth canal, and so they rush her to the back for a C-section. They rush and throw some scrubs on me that never actually closed in the back because they don't make scrubs for people my size. And I, and I walked into the room and, and in what seemed like a blink of an eye, I mean, as fast as I could have ever imagined it, all of a sudden there is this little beautiful creature clinging tightly to my fingers. And I looked her in the face and, and it was the most, at that time for me, the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I was in love. I was a father. And guess what else? I was terrified. <laughs> I could not get it around my heart or my mind how God could entrust this little life to me. Who would she become? What would she be? How would I do? All of those things came crashing down on me all at once. I will never forget it. The sudden weight of that responsibility has not ever left me. I didn't feel ready at all. In fact, is there a father in here who felt ready? Exactly. For those of you who are thinking about having kids, and they're like, we just got to get ready. You're never going to be ready. There is no ready. Okay? There is only do or don't do. There is no try. Okay? <laughs> you ain't going to ever be ready. Right? I wasn't ready. And so what I did is set myself to the study of fatherhood. And no father besides my own physical father, impacted me more than looking at the life of Joseph. And I'm not talking about many colors, coat thrown into slavery, you know, from the pit to the palace, Joseph. I'm talking about Jesus' daddy who nobody talks about. In fact, Joseph is easy to overlook. None of his words are included in the Bible. 
He goes relatively unnoticed in most streams of Christianity except for Catholicism. And yet when you dig into his story just a little bit, you see that the Bible portrays Joseph as playing a significant and critical role, let this circulate in your mind, in raising Jesus. You think you pressed. Well, you're going to raise the son of God. Oh, God. You show us me. It's not somebody else. Y'all don't have a rabbi for this, right? Joseph was an extraordinary man. And the two people who write most about him, Matthew and Luke, show us that there's an appreciation for what he had been entrusted with, which is the very mission of God. And the more I've dug into his story, the more I've come to admire him. There are so many wonderful characteristics about Joseph. I don't even have time to list them all. We're just going to look at four that I think are critical for both manhood and fatherhood that I hope that you would adopt into your vernacular and into your life. And listen, I know today is a mixed bag for some of us, right? Some of us, we didn't have an earthly dad or maybe we've lost our earthly dad. Or we had an earthly dad, but we had a terrible relationship with that dad. Or, or maybe for some of us, we, we want to be fathers, but we've lost children. Or we're praying for children and we're longing for children. And I know that this is a complicated day. And so before I even jump into this, I want to say, listen, I see you and I love you. And I hope today, if for nothing else, we'll show you the characteristics of God the Father that he has for you. And that if God wills and gives you children, whether that be by birth or adoption or fostering, that you would then embody these characteristics as well so that you can raise children who know that you have reflected the father who loves you so much. Amen? Amen. So the first thing that we see in Joseph's life, and if you want to follow along, you can hit that QR code there. There's notes in the Bible app for you uh, so that you can write these down and revisit them later. But the first thing that we see in Joseph's life that he models for us as a good father is that Joseph was obedient. Joseph was obedient. I didn't hear a good rousing amen for that one, so I'll say amen, pastor. Joseph was obedient. He was obedient to the Lord. And I can't say this strongly enough to you, brothers. You have no idea. Maybe you don't right now, and maybe one day that you will. You have no idea how important, how impactful, how shaping for the nature of your home, it will be for your children to see you be obedient to God even when it don't feel good. Even when it's terrifying. Even when you wonder if you're making the right decision. Joseph was obedient. You see, as the story goes, as God had already done with Mary, and we read the Magnificat and what a beautiful song she sang when she found out that she was going to give birth to Jesus, it was a very different situation for Joseph. God revealed his saving plan to Joseph, and he did so by using several dreams that we're going to expose. And one of those dreams may have very well saved Mary's life and the mission of God. You see, Joseph was incredibly troubled by the situation he found himself in, and he should be. Right? If the person that you were betrothed to turned up pregnant and y'all had never been together, you would be a little bit disturbed. And then you say, who is it for? I see how Malala Hale be looking at you. I be shy. I never liked him. And she goes, actually, it's for the Lord. 
For the Lord, you say. Joseph was very troubled. And he should have been troubled. But being a good man, look what the Bible says. Being a good man, he decided not to expose her to public disgrace. And instead had it in mind to divorce her quietly. Now what seems like a small thing to us was not a small thing, it was a significant thing. You see, according to the law, and I want you to read this, Joseph was faithful to the law. We'll jump back into that in a minute. According to the law, Joseph could have had Mary stoned. He could have had her life taken away for adultery. I know when you hear the word betrothal, you hear engagement, but it was much more than that. You see, in, in, in that culture and in that time when you were betrothed to someone, it was actually just the first stage of marriage. In year one of your new marriage, you were married, you were committed, you were locked down, you were in that thing, but you didn't live together and you didn't touch each other. I know. I know. Y'all like, I can't make it six months, right? Whole year, no physical contact to the person you married to. And then in year two, they would come into your home. You would take them into your home or y'all would share a home and you would begin to live together as husband and wife. And so according to the law, for her to turn up pregnant in the first year of their marriage, their betrothal year would be akin to adultery. And Joseph, a man faithful to the law, had a decision to make. But listen to what Matthew tells us. Matthew says that he was faithful to the law and yet. I wish somebody a shout for the and yet. What a marvelous couple of words those are. Let me repeat it for you one more time. Mary could have been stoned. Mary would have died. The baby in her womb would have died. No Jesus, no mission. Or Mary could have been divorced publicly which would have been an incredible disgrace, leaving her likely unmarriable for the rest of her life. And soon as her parents died, it would have put her in a vulnerable position, which would have more than likely cut her life short, as well as cutting short the life of Jesus. No Jesus, no mission, no salvation. Now God could have made a way because God makes a way out of no way. That's what God does. But God chooses to use people in means. And so in the space that, that Joseph gave God in this and yet, he chooses grace instead of law. God works in the and yet's of grace. He had the right, to, oh, husbands, hear me. Fathers, hear me. It's not always about what you have the right to do. There's a world in which you submit your rights to what's right. And there's a world in which you submit the law to grace for the sake of the flourishing of the people for whom you are responsible. And so here in the grace of yet, God goes to work and he comes to Joseph in a first dream and he says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She wasn't lying, my boy. She will bear a son and you are to name him Yeshua 
for he will save his people from their sins. All facts, no cap. Joseph, his response was immediate. He didn't waffle. He didn't wait. Let me call four friends. I need to talk to my spiritual father about this. No, his response was immediate. It says that when he woke up from the dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. And he took this woman into his home as his wife. Joseph was obedient. In the second dream, God came to Joseph and he said, get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And again, Joseph didn't hesitate to obey. He didn't try to figure out a plan. He didn't try to come up with a strategy. He didn't try to put together something that will help him map out the situation. God said, and he went. He was obedient. He was obedient. And as hard as this is sometimes, listen, obedience is the thing that God will help you use to surmount your difficulties. And that's what he did. He got up. He took Mary and Jesus to Egypt in the nighttime, green book style. Couldn't travel during the day. And he arrived there and they stayed there until Herod died. In Egypt, Joseph waited for a word from the Lord. Brothers, brothers, can we stop trying to do it on our own and wait for a word? Can we stop trying to put together a plan and wait for a word? Can we stop strategizing and scheming and mechanizing and wait for a word? Even when we're pressed, even when we're troubled. And I imagine you can understand, you can put yourself here. You're a man. You're trying to take care of your family. Now you're living in Egypt. We don't know anybody here. I got to figure out how to make this work. I'm ready to go back home. Mary says she's tired of living here. I don't want to be here no more. I know, baby. But we got to wait on God. We've got to wait on God. We'll return home when God says. Why? Because Joseph was obedient. In the third dream, the angel told him again, the people who sought to kill the child, they're gone. So now go back home. Go back home. And there you will be safe. Once again, Joseph promptly obeyed. And in an even in an even greater sense, in a fourth dream, God comes to him again and he tells him to go and make your home in a town called Nazareth. Why? Because that would fulfill the prophecy that said that the Savior of the world would be called a Nazarene. And Joseph obeyed. Listen, in every situation, in every circumstance, in every tension, in every trial, in every difficult, in every challenge, in every moment in which he found himself. From what we see, Joseph chose obedience to the Lord 
over everything. And brothers, that is what our families need from us. They need to see us. Our children need to see us obey God. Why? Because they're watching. They're watching. And by all implications, Joseph is the one that taught Jesus to be obedient to the point where Luke actually tells us that after he disappeared for a little bit, that they went down to Nazareth and Jesus went with them and was obedient to them. Joseph taught Jesus obedience in accordance to God's command during the hidden years in Nazareth. It would have been at the school of Joseph that Jesus learned to do the will of the Father. And it would show up again. There as the Savior of the world is in the Garden of Gethsemane asking the Father of all, is there another way? Is there another way? Is there another possibility? Is there another path? But not my will, your will be done because I learned how to be obedient to the Father from my daddy. That is what your children need to see. In fact, all of this shows us, quote, that St. Joseph was called by God to serve the person and mission of Jesus directly through the exercise of fatherhood. Your fatherhood is no small thing. You are serving the mission of God through your fatherhood. And Joseph in particular, he cooperated in the fullness of time in the great mystery of salvation and in that way truly became a minister of salvation. Now with his obedience to the Lord as a foundation, I want to look at three other characteristics and I'll be out your way. Okay. Not only was Joseph obedient, but Joseph was self-giving. Joseph was self-giving. What does self-giving mean? Well, in the few words that we read that cover Joseph's life, we see that Joseph's chief concern, look at me, Joseph's chief concern was not his well-being. It was the well-being of his wife and his children. Joseph's chief concern was not his well-being. It was the well-being of his wife and his children. Joseph found happiness in the ability to self-gift. And we have to be self-giving. And Joseph, we see no frustration, only trust. And his patient silence was prelude to all of the concrete expressions of trust that we saw. And what your family needs, what our world needs today is fathers like him who are self-giving. Who are self-giving. In fact, uh, St. Paul the sixth. A Catholic theologian, I'm quoting the Catholic, I hope that's okay. A Catholic theologian noted that Joseph concretely expressed his fatherhood, quote, by making his life a sacrificial service to the mystery of the incarnation and its redemptive purpose. He employed his legal authority over the Holy Family to devote himself completely to them in his life and his work, and he turned his human vocation to domestic love into a superhuman oblation of himself, his heart, and all of his abilities, a love placed at the service of the Messiah who was growing in wisdom and maturity in his home. If I ask you what you do, what's your primary vocation, or what's your vocation, well, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a physicist. 
I'm a street pharmacist. Whatever it is. But can I tell you something? That's not your vocation. Your primary vocation is husband and father, if you are. Your primary vocation is pouring yourself out for the people for whom God has made you responsible. That is your primary vocation. It's not to make money or even to provide a great life. It is to give of yourself in the service of the flourishing of your children. That is our call. To be self-giving means that I may have to sacrifice my dreams to love them. There are things I have in my heart I may never get to do because I chose to be a father for a long time. I'll be 60 years old when everybody leaves my house. You understand that? 60. My knees and my back already bad. It ain't much out there for me after this. And I do it with joy. Being the pastor of this church is not my primary vocation. It's something I get to do with joy because I love my primary vocation. Which is to love and serve my family. And I hope that you would take on the same. Joseph was obedient. Joseph was self-giving. Joseph was tender. You know, I wanted to give you all be jerky today. Man. Stay with me now. Now, one day we'll be able to afford that. But I was, you know, you know they make meat bouquets with like bacon and. Yes. Ladies, take care of us. And ladies who like those things, take care of yourself. There was one with chocolate-covered bacon in it. I was like, bless God Almighty. Somebody give him praise. He's worthy. But we couldn't afford that, so we got you some nice little prayer journals. But I wanted to get you jerky. Why? Because jerky is tough and tender. A physical representation of how we're supposed to be. Tough enough to take the hits, especially from teenagers. Tender enough to pursue them with all our life for all their life. Our children need our tenderness. They need our tenderness. Not just our toughness, not just our discipline. They need our tenderness. And what we find in the life of Joseph and Jesus is we just heard together that he was growing daily in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. And all of this was under the tender, nurturing care of his father, Joseph. Just as Yahweh had done with Israel, so Joseph did with Jesus. It was Joseph who took him by the hand and taught him how to walk. It was Joseph who picked him up and wiped off his knee the first time he scraped his knee. It was Joseph who pulled him close to his face and put him cheek to cheek. It was Joseph that showed him the tenderness of the father. The same tenderness Jesus would later display 
when he looked over Jerusalem and said, how I would gather you to myself as a mother would for her chicks. He learned that tenderness from his father. In Joseph, Jesus would have seen the tender love of God in synagogue as they prayed the Psalms. Joseph would have surely leaned over to Jesus and said that compassion is over all that he has made and that's who God is and that's who I will be to you. I had a very tender father. And he wasn't raised particularly tenderly himself. But he chose a different way. An embarrassing way. Public kisses all the time. All the time. And I know I broke his heart. Because he wanted to drop me off in front of the building. And I'm like, no, nah, put me out on the corner. I don't want him to see. <laughs> and him being who he is. He promptly pulled right up to the front of the building, <laughs> told me he loved me and gave me a big kiss on the forehead, and he still kisses me. My father taught me how to be tender to my children. You see, men, your tenderness is what will win your children's hearts. What does the Bible say about the father? That loving kindness leads to repentance. Okay? The threat of discipline doesn't change the heart. It's the face of grace in the face of what should be destruction that changes the heart. And it's our tenderness, men, especially with your sons, especially with your sons. You know, my daughters low-key resent me for this, low-key, high-key resent me for this because I wanted sons first. I did. I had this whole plan in my mind. And God was like, here's a little girl. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. So she grabbed my face the first time. I was like. Take it all. But I, I've realized later in life, and I've shared this with my wife. God bless you. That God, I know he gave me daughters first to tenderize me so that I wouldn't break my son. 25, fresh out the NFL, that boy would have been doing ladders at two. Like, you walking now, son. Get through that. Get, get through that. You can walk, but you can't ladder. I would have broken him. I would have broken him. So God gives me one little girl and she chips away a third of it. Then he gives me a second little girl and she takes the rest. And by the time that boy came, I was able to actually be tender with him instead of always tough. Man, your children, they need your tenderness. Joseph was obedient. Joseph was self-giving. Joseph was tender. And lastly, Joseph was courageous. Joseph was courageous. In the face of difficulty, we can either give up and walk away or we can press in. And Joseph had a lot of opportunities to bail. 
but instead he showed incredible courage. He showed incredible courage. God chose this man to guide the beginnings of the history of redemption, and he didn't back down. He showed courage by becoming Jesus' legal father. He showed courage by taking his family to Egypt in the middle of the night. He showed courage by bringing them back to Bethlehem. Nowhere to stay. And so he finds a stable and he does the best that he can to make a comfortable place to welcome the son of the living God into the world. He showed courage in providing and securing as they face concrete problems. We have no idea how long they were down in Egypt, but it doesn't take a lot of imagination to fill in the fact that he had to find a way to provide and he had to find a place to live and he had to find a way to protect and he had to find a way to guard his family all while trying to hear from God, what is it that I do next? He showed incredible courage. And brothers, your children... They need to see you display that courage in a world that will tell you to cower, to cower about your faith, to cower about your convictions, to not walk in your authority. They need to see us, not mustered up in our own strength. No, 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 don't, don't, don't hear that. Don't hear that. No, it's not by might or by power, but by his spirit that we walk in total courage and not cowardice. It takes courage to raise children in this world, to try and guide them toward right when wrong tastes so sweet, to teach them conviction, when the world says it's laissez-faire, do as you do. Do what you do. Live fast, die young. It takes courage to draw lines and boundaries. To have your children be frustrated with you because they want a friend, but you got to be a daddy. It takes courage. Joseph was obedient. Joseph was self-giving, Joseph was tender, Joseph was courageous. From Joseph, we learn that care and responsibility, that if we would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, embody, we can be sure, be sure to raise healthy, happy, godly children. If we are able like Jesus, or like Joseph rather, to trust the voice of God as he raised Jesus, to follow the hand of God as he raised Jesus, to be led by the spirit of God, if we can be those types of men, I promise you, you will have no questions when you launch these young people into the world. Not if you follow Jesus' love and leadership and reflecting the fatherhood of God as Joseph did. And so if you're stirred even just a little, I want to I challenge you to take a step. 
related, not coincidentally, to the notebooks that you received. It's always a setup. You should know that by now. That's why whenever I ask rhetorical questions, never answer. Never answer. If you're new here, never raise your hand. It's a setup. Now, you're going to forget in like six months and... I'm like, bow. Oh, he told me that. Right? <laughs> if you're stirred just a little bit, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Write a letter to your kids sharing with them how you are going to, by the Spirit's power, embody these characteristics of obedience and self-giving and tenderness and courage. And if you've got more than one child, write each child a letter. Here's a free bit of parenting advice. You cannot herd raise children, okay? They're different. If I look hard at my oldest, she gonna cry. If I look hard at my second, she gonna look harder back at me. <laughs> Period. My son, he just wants dad to be proud. So I've gotta be careful. I've gotta be careful that he's not living for me instead of living for God. And Ella, well, her name means fairy, and she is that. Yes. Floating, flipping, popping, bopping. And she just wants everybody in the house to be okay. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are they okay? Are you? Like, that's how Ella spends most of her day. Just make sure everybody's all right. And so as I think about the letter that I'm going to write to my children, I've got to write it in the context of who they are. Eden with her beautiful sensitivity and artistry. Sweetheart, I promise that I'm going to do my best as an obedient father to show you what it means to follow God through difficult times and as a tender father to nurture your artistic gift and to never step on your feelings. And as a self-giving father to get out of my way sometimes in stumbling over how to be present for you in this season of your life. And it's a courageous father to tell you that if you bring him back to the house, he's going to die. Right? That's the letter that I have to write to her. And everybody's going to get their own letter. Because I want my children to know that I want them to see God in me. Now, maybe that seems like a high hurdle today and you need some time to think through how you're going to write that letter. And so I invite you to do just one thing with me in this moment. In your strongest voice, man, will you pray this prayer aloud with me? Can we do that together? Lord, please help me to be a good father. Give me the power to be obedient to you, self-giving to my family, tender with my children, and courageous in this world, in Jesus' name, amen. Fathers are not born, they're made. And you don't become a father by simply bringing a child into this world. You become a father when you take responsibility for another life. So my invitation to you today, men, it's let's be fathers worth emulating. Let's look to the life of Joseph by the power of the Spirit to be the fathers that our children need 
and that the world needs to see.